you will go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 15. 1 Chronicles chapter 15. <clears throat> we'll be reading from this story in just a moment, 1 Chronicles chapter 15. It's good to be out with you all once again, to be able to worship God, sing praises to Him, and learn more about His Word. As we think about learning more about His Word, I want to start with the question, do you, and only think about you, do you have the capability to learn? I was thinking about this question as I uh, was reading through a short story, thought it was really funny, um, kind of unfortunate beginning though because it just is talking about a young married couple who after a few, just a few years of marriage, it was filled with disagreements and arguments and they had gotten so disgruntled and, and to the point where they thought that nothing was going to work so they decided to go to um, uh, counseling and as it goes through the descriptions of these two individuals, it says that the husband was incredibly uh, insensitive and dull while the wife was very hyperactive and dominant. And, and it's just never a good mix when you have those kind of characteristics constantly against each other. And they go to this uh, doctor's office and they talk to the counselor. And as they arrive, he just begins by saying, well, what seems to be the problem. And characteristically, the husband just kind of slumps back in his chair, assuming a defeated posture, and manages, after some time staring down at the carpet, to just give an indifferent shrug. The wife, on the other hand, takes that opportunity to launch into her script, talking at 90 miles an hour, describing all of the wrongs about their marriage and every problem that could be traced back to him, his failures, his insensitivities, his failure to communicate, and, and it just goes on and on and on. And after about 15 minutes of listening to this, the counselor stands up abruptly, and without saying a word, he walks over to her, and while she's still in mid-sentence, he picks her up by the shoulders, gives her a big hug, and then kisses her passionately. Now, you can imagine that both parties were very shocked about this. And as the husband is looking up, mouth agape, at this uh, site, the counselor looks at, it, at the woman's husband and says, you need to do this for your wife at least twice a week, every single week. This is what she needs, and this is what you need. And the husband still, mouth agape, just kind of flabbergasted at the whole thing, starts to think about it, and, and he says, well, I guess I can bring her here every Tuesday and Thursday. <laughs> now, let me ask you, did, did he learn the lesson? No, no, no. He learned the wrong lesson. Now, he, he, so he did learn a lesson, but not the lesson, not the correct lesson. And this is really what I want to talk about this morning, is learning the lesson that we are supposed to learn. Because frankly, time and time again, what tends to happen when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to discussions about the Bible in our evangelistic studies, what, what constantly happens is people are learning things, but they're not learning the correct things. And maybe that's even me. It's sad to say, but even Christians often do the same with the Bible. Instead of learning the right lesson, they learn the incorrect one and they move forward with that, with that uh, mistake. And so... In 1 Chronicles chapter 15, I think that this gives us a very good uh, just kind of example to see how somebody who really does care about God 
makes the correct lesson, corrects themselves, and learns from their mistakes. In 1 Chronicles chapter 13, you recall that's the story of Uzzah touching the Ark of the Covenant and God puts him to death. Now, uh, we've even studied that uh, several months ago, but what you find there is in that chapter, what they do is they, they, they take the Ark of the Covenant on a cart, on a new cart, and essentially... They're doing it wrong. They're doing it unscripturally, and therefore every one of them is in sin. But as they're going down the road, the, the ark it kind of gets discombobulated on the cart because they hit a patchy part of the road. And so Uzzah, trying to be a good man, he just he goes up and he puts his hand on it, tries to stabilize it. And God puts him to death, and rightfully, justly so. And even at the end of that chapter, it's kind of interesting because it says that David kind of goes home angry. I don't even think at the end of this story in chapter 13 that he fully understands what had happened here. But when you get to chapter 15, we see the aftermath of Uzzah's sin with the ark. And, 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 and the aftermath in the fact that David learns from his mistakes and moves forward correctly. And so this is what pleases God as we find in this story in 1 Chronicles chapter 15. And so I just want to ask, do we have the same ability as David does when it comes to the Bible? When it comes to our lives, are we willing to make the appropriate, uh, learn the appropriate lesson? And, and we're going to go through a few examples of how I think we do this, do and don't do this from time to time. But as we think about learning from our mistakes, I, I want to just focus on this story and think of how are we to do that? What are some guiding factors that I think the scriptures give to us, even just within the story? So beginning in verse 1, it says, Now David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said, No one is to carry the ark of God but the Levites, for the Lord chose them to carry the ark of God and to minister to him forever. And so just from the very beginning, what we find is that one of the ways that we learn from our mistakes is by discerning the real cause of the problem. You know, a lot of times we can say there's all kinds of causes to the problem, but what is the actual cause? Because sometimes we confuse uh, what, what the cause of our mistakes or the cause of our issues um, are. David's objective of returning the ark to, to you know, this, this holy city and even preparing, uh, preparing this place. His objective to return the ark was not the problem. It was never the problem. In fact, it says at the end of this chapter that God helps them bring it back. And what I think that means is he allows it. Because I think that this is actually a good thing. But from what we see in verse 2, David reveals what the problem was. It was neglected instruction. All the while, while, while they were getting prepared and having all these things ready in chapter 13 to, to bring back the Ark of the Covenant, they forgot God's law on the matter and how it was to be transported. And so it would have been easier for David to say, you know, I, Uzzah died. We're not able to bring the Ark back because of this. I, I guess we just didn't celebrate enough. And in fact, I would say that the celebration was actually a good thing. They were supposed to celebrate. But, but David doesn't say that. Instead, he says, we were wrong. Because we should never, ever have used the cart in the first place. And it's interesting that it's no one, no people are carrying it in 1 Chronicles 13. You might think, well, well, we can do anything else because it just says that the Levites have to carry it. But if, as long as we don't have another kind of person carry it, well, then that should be fine. So we put it on the, no, you don't, nothing carries it but the Levites. That's how it's to be moved. And so David doesn't learn the wrong lesson here. He's not learning the wrong cause of the problem. Instead, he says, I know what the cause was. And it was, we did not go to the Lord. We did not do what he said. We did not obey him. And I think we see this all the time. Just, just a very simplistic and, and common example is, a, is, is just, again, the married couple. 
So a wife gets upset with her husband because he decides that um, on their anniversary night, instead of spending it with her, he goes out on a guy's night. Or he goes with all of the fellas to a basketball game, maybe to watch UK play. You know, that's pretty interesting, but it's on their anniversary. And so there's obviously some tension. And, and as the husband is thinking about why, I mean, I just, racking his brain, why is she so upset with me? You know what? I already gave her a gift. She's just not that grateful. <laughs> is that the reason for the angst and the tension? Is that the reason for the problems? No. Instead, he should have thought, I, I probably should have spent my time with her. That was the real cause, wasn't it? And what's going to happen if he decides to go with the wrong cause of the problem? It's just going to create more chaos. It's going to create more problems. And, and there are so many different ways, I think, that especially married couples do this. We, and I mean, just me and Paige uh, have done this from time to time, just in the, the five years that we've been together at this point. <laughs> Instead of coming to the right conclusion, I'll get upset. My pride is hurt, and so I say, well, uh, I tried to do something nice, but I guess I'll just never do something nice again. Well, what was the problem that I was trying to do something nice? No, it probably was something else. Like, I was trying to do something nice, but I may not have thought enough <laughs> about her. And there's all kinds of ways that this could come up. But people, people don't like doing this. People don't like thinking, was it, was it my fault? Because honestly, the false causes that we can come up with, that we can conjure up, is much easier and frankly much more comfortable to deal with or to bear. Because if I say, it's really not my problem, it's theirs, what does that mean? They get all the blame. And I'm not really the one who did, I'm not really the one who caused the issue. And so what we do is we try to excuse ourselves. So the man who comes home and blows up on his family, he tries, I, 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 it's not my fault. I've had a bad day. That's it. I've just had a bad day. No, you just had no patience. You may have had a bad day, but that's not the cause for why you blew up. The cause was you didn't have enough patience. Or maybe you don't have enough love for your own family. Or the one who is addicted to pornography, and this is something that you hear time and time again, even with Christians, is I just can't help it. Or I just couldn't help it at the time. No, you definitely could. You just don't want to admit that you chose to do it. You just don't want to admit that you chose not to help it. That, that's the real issue. And so people do this all the time. And so the point that we need to learn here from David especially is that learning the wrong lesson only perpetuates the problem and often makes it so much worse. I think about Numbers chapter 16 when this is after the day where God swallows up Korah, Dathan, and, Abiram, uh, Dathan and Abiram and the 250 with them. He swallows all of them up because they had rebelled against him. And they were trying to basically start a coup against Moses and Aaron, God's chosen leaders, God's chosen leader and priest. And so after all of that being said and done, you think, okay, it's over. The people understand. But then you get to verse 41, and the very next day, the people start complaining against Moses and Aaron. And they're saying, you're the one that hurt God's people. Did they learn the wrong lesson? What was the cause of that devastation? It was Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and those that followed him. It was not God, and it was not Moses and Aaron. Just because Moses and Aaron had to speak against him, it wasn't their fault. It was the rebels' fault. It was those who were against God. And so what happens as the people begin to complain because they came to the wrong conclusion? You remember what happens? More than 14,000 people die of a plague from a judgment from God. 
Do we see how devastating and how much destruction we bring on ourselves, what we can bring on ourselves when we don't discern the true cause, but rather we go with an easier one or more comfortable one? If we are not able to learn, we're just going to make even more devastation for ourselves and for those around us. And so that's one thing that I think we see in David's example here in chapter 15. But another example that I think we find is that how we learn from our mistakes, we learn from them by correcting what needs to be corrected and not overcorrecting. And what do I mean by overcorrecting? Just as a brief illustration, if there's a mouse in the house and there's a certain tactic that you're using to try and catch it and get it killed, maybe there's a mouse trap, it's just not working. All right, I'm going to correct this problem. I'm, uh, I'm going to really correct it. And so what I do is bring my 12-gauge shotgun out and with, you know, spread shot, and I just start firing at every, every single t place on the floor that the mouse has gone and touched. And I end up, I'll end up killing the mouse, but I end up destroying the stove at the kitchen too. Because I'm just, I just don't even, overcorrecting. It's, it's going too far. Instead of correcting the problem and thinking, what's, what is the best way to go about this? Now, notice back in First Chronicles chapter 15 that David does not go too far in trying to correct this. In, in, uh, uh, in chapter 13, in verse 1, notice all the people who were involved initially. It says, David consulted with the captains of the thousands and the hundreds, even with every leader and even the heads of the uh, leaders of the, uh, the houses of the leaders of Israel. But then you go to chapter 15 in verse uh, 25, and it says essentially the same thing. So it was David with the elders of Israel and the captains over thousands who went to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with joy. And so here's kind of the, spoiler alert, the end of the story. They succeed uh, because they actually do what God has told them to do. But notice that David does not say, he doesn't go to an extreme and say, it, in the first place, it was sinful uh, that any of these people were here at all. It should have only been the Levites, and, no, and there should have been no celebration whatsoever. All of those things, we, none of that should have happened. He doesn't go to an extreme. Rather, what he says is what actually happened. It was sinful, especially, mainly because of the fact that the Levites weren't there. The Levites themselves were not present. It was a good thing that all these people were here to, to kind of commemorate and celebrate the return of the Ark of the Covenant. This is a beautiful day. And so there should be celebration and there should be all these people in whole agreement. But in chapter 13, they were in agreement, not through the scriptures. They were in agreement maybe through their passions, through their emotions, maybe just through their own wisdom. In chapter 15, they're in agreement through the scriptures. And so David doesn't overcorrect here. And, and I'll tell you, I think there is a lot of danger in overcorrecting, in, in swinging from one side, of the extreme side of the pendulum to the other side and never finding a balance. Because uh, when you get to, especially the Old Testament, you have examples of people doing that, kind of like the Pharisees, instead of making the corrections where their forefathers had, had just completely messed up from the wilderness and onward. Instead of doing the right thing, they, they take it so far that they start calling things sin that just aren't sinful. And they ultimately, because of that, think less of what actually is. And they kind of excuse that which actually is sin. I mean, that's one of the traps of, of, of the Pharisees is that they were bringing in these kinds of traditions and they were introducing these extremes and ultimately, because they weren't making the actual proper correction, it leads them further and further away from God. Maybe in a different direction from their forefathers, but it does still lead them away from God. And so one way that I think we see this, just thinking about the Pharisees, is, is when you have differing 
opinions in the church, differing opinions between Christians. One extreme that you can have is you, you, you start to, people start to say, well, there can be no opinions. You hear a lot of that when 2020 happened with COVID. And how are we going to move forward? There can be no opinions whatsoever, no judgments whatsoever. Well, that's an extreme, and I don't think that's, that's scriptural. But I'll tell you another extreme that people went to. Instead of just finding a, a proper balance from the scriptures, they went to another extreme and said, well, no, actually, that's wrong because Romans 14, so we've got to accept every single opinion. <laughs> that's, that's equally, if not worse, equally damaging, if not worse. And so we have to be able to find the balance. And so the correct way of going about that would be, yes, look at Romans 14, but don't try to say something that God does not there. There are going to be judgments and opinions, but those judgments and opinions are about, are, are about differing, yeah, differing opinions. He's not talking about differing uh, doctrine. And so the doctrine does not change. We're still people of the book. We're still people of the word. But there are going to be some judgment calls that Romans 14 kind of helps guides us through that. And so people, especially when it comes to a place like Romans 14, we tend to go to one extreme or the other. Or another, as we were going through the, the gospel meeting recently with Bill Allison talking about the eldership and leadership in the church, I was, he made some points that I, I thought were really good. And, and as I was thinking about that, I thought of how people tend to make extreme cases or extreme points of application when it comes to a congregation that may not have elders. So on one hand, they say, you've got to disband. You don't have elders. But on the other hand, they say, well, okay, we don't have elders. We need elders, so let's just appoint people regardless of the qualifications. Which one are you more comfortable with? Remember in Titus chapter 1, Paul says, set in order what remains. He doesn't say disband because there's still something that is lacking. There's a balance that's needed. And I think Brother Bill talked about that quite a bit. We've talked about that uh, uh, going through our own studies, uh, uh, speaking about the qualifications and the work of a shepherd in the church. And so there, there's, a, there's a great balance needed. And one of the reasons that, that these kinds of discussions about the eldership and about leadership in the church get so heated is because I think we've lost the ability to, to have those kinds of balanced conversations. And so we need to be able... As we see from David here, we need to be able to, to find that balance because not finding it will, will cause us to fall into the same trap as, I think, the Pharisees and fall into the same traps uh, as, as many of our brethren have throughout the country, even throughout the past few years, and maybe even ourselves because we aren't, will, we aren't able to approach the Scriptures and approach the will of God without a hot head, but, but you know, a sound mind, a sober mind. We need to be able to have those balanced uh, discernments. Well, not only that, but as you look again in chapter 15, coming down to verse 13, look at what David says at the very beginning of verse 13. Does it seem like he's trying to, you know, blame somebody else? It says in verse 13 of 1 Chronicles chapter 15, Because you did not carry it at the first, the Lord our God made an outburst on us. What's he saying there? That it was our fault. And I love the fact, you know, he, he's not saying, when, it, when he talks about that outburst there, he's not saying that it was really Uzzah's fault. And he ruined everything. We couldn't have fun. We couldn't do the right thing because it was one man's fault. Uzzah was just the outburst. He was the sign that they had already gone too far, right? And, and so it, the, the, he doesn't say that it was all Uzzah's fault. Rather, he says it's because we didn't do what God's word specified. 
And the responsibility fell not just on Uzzah. The responsibility fell not just on David because he was the king kind of organizing this. Even though there probably is a case to be made that he would, he would probably be held a little bit more accountable. But guess what? Everyone who was there is going to be held accountable. It's not just one person. The responsibility falls on all people. David, the king, the high-ranking officials, everyone that, that was there, everyone that gave hearty agreement to it. He doesn't, he's not trying to shift the blame and say, I can't believe Uzzah ruined this for us. He comes to understand, I can't believe that God even spared the rest of us. And that's, again, what I think he means when, when, it's, when it says that God helped them return. He spared them in 1 Chronicles chapter 13. Every single one of them were sinning against him. Grace and mercy was shown in that story. A lot of times we look at that story and think, this is not a story of grace and mercy. Oh, it is, because just one of the rebels died. But then you get to chapter 15, and David has learned the lesson. He takes responsibility for, for his actions and for guiding and organizing this kind of sin and this kind of rebellion. And I'll tell you, less and less people have this kind of humility today. You see this a lot in children when they're talking to their kids, you know, or, or when they're talking to their parents. Whenever there's some kind of fight between, you know, siblings, you, you go to one child and they say, well, it's really their fault. You should have seen what they were doing. And then you go to the other child and they say the exact same thing. And, and you, you almost never have anyone say, well, yes, he did wrong, but I, I know I shouldn't have acted that way. <laughs> they try to cover themselves. They try, you should have seen what they did. But with God, that you don't get to hide your participation in a wrongdoing. And you do see this even with Christians. Christians, when they have, have behaved poorly or they have behaved sinfully or they have behaved like the, like the sons of disobedience, instead of saying, I shouldn't have acted like this, you have Christians who try to blame their poor behavior on other brethren's provocations. Well, they were just trying to provoke me. You, you have somebody who's hot-headed and, and they just say, well, they know that I have a temper and they were just saying things and doing things just to make me angry. They were just keeping their finger in my face like a child. Does that give you the right to just deck the guy? No, no. We need to take responsibility for our own actions, for our own mistakes. And there may have been a lot of other people at fault and a lot of other people making the same exact mistake. But God doesn't say, I want you to focus on them. He says, what did you do to me. And we need to look at it that way. We can't play the blame game and, and think that God is going to be tricked by that. Look at Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve try to play the blame game. You know what? God does start the, to, with the curse to the serpent. But he goes down the line, doesn't he? With the serpent to Eve to Adam. Every single one of them participated. And so... We learn from our mistakes by taking per, uh, personal responsibility and not focusing on everybody else. Now, I would just say that, that all of these, I think, are, are applicable. I think all of these are, are things we need to focus on. But I think all of it is umbrellaed in what we see at the very end of verse 13. The ultimate reason that they failed was because they did not seek God. Period. At the very end, of, we'll just read the whole verse. Because you did not carry it at the first, the Lord our God made an outburst on us, for we did not seek him according to the ordinance. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. The sons of the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles thereon, as Moses had commanded, according to the word of the Lord. I like how both, uh, both verses 13 and 16 kind of make the same case. This is something that was commanded, 
And they did not seek what was commanded. They did not seek the will. They did not seek the word. They didn't seek the ordinance of God. Actually, it's, it, it's really spoken in such a way as to say they didn't seek God. How? By not coming to his word. And so I think there are a few ways that we don't seek God. And, and, and I, I think it does all kind of umbrella under this fact that it's not seeking him through his word. But I think that there are applications to be made about people doing that, you know, maybe outside of just that realm. But, but all of these things, I think, connect to this point. And that's what I want to focus on for just the next few moments as we close the study this morning. Are we truly, are we truly seeking God? Are we really genuinely trying to learn the lesson that God would have us to learn, not anybody else, not myself? Are we trying to learn God's lesson? Or are we tricking ourselves? And so when you think about that first point we started with in verse 2, by discerning the true cause of the problem, do we understand that, that the cause of every single problem, the cause of every single mistake, the cause of every continuing perpetual issue is due to this fact? It's due to an absence of seeking God. Every single, every single problem. It always comes down to someone or a lot of people are not focusing on seeking after him. Genuinely. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 16, as it speaks about the, the scripture of God, it says, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Now, can someone who has that inspired word before them say, well... I, I mean, it, I'm just not capable. Can someone who has that inspired word say, I just can't understand it? Or, or can someone say, I just, I don't know what else I could do. There's nothing else I could have done. Are we going to believe those excuses? Or are we going to go and seek God and see what he has to say about it? So when someone says, I'm just not capable, God says you were from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Or when someone says that I just can't understand it, go to 1 Corinthians chapters 2 through 3 and you will see very clearly that God has made his mind known to his people, to those who actually want to learn. But what he says, in especially uh, chapter 2 and verse 14, is that there are some people who are just never going to learn. Why? Because they don't want to. They don't want, they're not seeking him genuinely or sincerely. Or when people say, I just, I, there's nothing else that I could have done. What else could I have done? You could have actually sought God. The reason that the mistake was made is not because you looked at the scriptures and said, oh, this is what God wants me to do. Well, maybe it was, but it was a misunderstanding of the scriptures. But don't think that the scriptures are not capable or, or, or gives us the capability to do the right thing or to learn from our mistakes. Whenever there's a problem, it's because we neglected Scripture somewhere down the line. And so when there's division, sometimes people say, well, you know, you, you, you can't expect anything else because people are just diverse. And maybe this is something that polit politicians can get away with, but I mean, not Christians, not the Lord's people. It doesn't matter how diverse you are. Look at the 12 apostles. This is the one place where diversity shouldn't matter at all. Diversity of, of thought, diversity of, of race or ethnicity or whatever you might think of. Why? Because we're all united under one purpose and one uh, allegiance. And so people, you, you can't just say, well, people are just diverse. You can't expect anything else. No, the reason that there's division is because there are people that are not seeking God according to the ordinance 
or according to the word that he commanded. That's the reason. Every single time. When, when, when people are not willing to submit, it's not because that God does not give, he can't empower people to submit. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21, we are able. It's not because, we, you know, people just don't know how to respond when they feel like they're giving everything and other people are not giving anything. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Paul makes this very clear that you've got to have the mind and attitude of Jesus. You be a servant. It doesn't matter if you feel like no one else is giving something. You be a servant. Or when people try to, you know, maybe, maybe there's an issue uh, still you know, with division. Maybe it's just very simply a lack of tolerance. I just can't tolerate that. We'll go to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, and you tell me what Paul says about tolerance. He doesn't say tolerate sin, but he does say you put up with one another, you bear with one another in love. And so who are we to try to make excuses and say it's, we're just not capable? God says we are. And so no one would ever, I don't think anyone of, of, who has their head on their shoulders would ever say it's the word's fault. If it's not the word's fault, where else does the blame go? It's, it's me. I need to take responsibility. Secondly, as we think about making the scriptural correction and not just making a random one, do we understand that even if the correction is, is even if we do make a correction of some sort, if it's unscriptural, if it's outside of God's will, it is by definition the opposite of seeking God. Because clearly we've tried to make a correction without his will, without his revelation. And I think one great example of this is when you have Abraham and Sarah in Genesis chapter 16. In, in Genesis chapter 16, they ultimately did not seek God. They, they know that God has given them this promise of a child that would, that would be born to them. And so Sarah is worried because they're both old. So what does she do? She gives Hagar, her handmaiden, to Abraham to try and help God. That, that, see, that, they, they tried to correct the problem. But it was not the scriptural one. It was not the, the godly one, the biblical one. And often, as you see with, in Genesis chapter 16, I think this happens because people do think that they have to help God in some way, shape, or form. And, and, and it, doesn't even, it, it doesn't even matter if it's good-intentioned motives. That doesn't overwrite the fact that there is sin involved when we have tried to correct something that is really a worldly mindset instead of a godly one. I, I, and I said this a few months ago, I, I believe, but, but there was a preacher who was riding in a car with somebody, a, another brother, and, and they were riding past this denomination, and it had just grown. I mean, their numbers had just, just gone off the charts, and, and they were bringing people in all over the place, and it looked active, and they were driving by that building, and the man who was sitting next to the preacher said, you know what, we could learn something from them. Now, we're going to come back to just that kind of mindset where that leads. But he said, we could learn something from them. And the preacher said, yeah, yeah, we could learn something from them. We could learn to take the Ark of the Covenant back on a cart. We can learn something from them, but it's going to be the wrong, wrong lesson. I, I, I really do kind of think that when you look at the story there, how the, how the Philistines had gotten rid of the plagues on their land was because they put it the Ark of the Covenant on a cart, and they even put some, some treasures on the cart to try to appease God. And I really do believe that the Israelites might have looked at that and thought, oh, well, the Philistines did it, and it worked for them. And so let's do it ourselves. <laughs> I don't want to do something just because they barely survived. 
I want to do something because it's the right thing. I want to do something because this is what God says <laughs> you need to do. This is my will. And so it doesn't matter if it's good intention motives. It's still sin. And what happened with that man who had that kind of mindset? It, didn't, it never just ends with a comment. Because the reason he made that comment was because his mind was already made up that they've got something to offer that, frankly, I don't know the Bible has, that we don't have through Scripture. And unfortunately, because of that mindset, it infected his family and every single one of his kids became unfaithful as soon as they moved out. You want to know how that happens? It's because we, ha we believe that lie. We believe in maybe a correction that the world has made or even the religious world has made instead of believing the correction that God would say you need to make. Do we have enough faith in God's will? Because when people start thinking this way, frankly, the sky's the limit on what they may correct because there's no boundaries. And so when you look at a passage like Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17 where it says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord, word or deed, all in the name of the Lord. When you talk about how to establish authority, where are we going to go? We're going to come to the scriptures. We're not going to go to any other, you know, any other uh, source. We're not going to go to any other uh, place or person. Why? Because they don't have the answers. Only God does. Or do I have this mindset that maybe I think we need to help God. I think we need to correct something. We're, we're getting into an overcorrection. We're going to an extreme that's going to lead us further and further away. And so we are not seeking after God if we're looking for better corrections than what we find in the Bible. We're simply not. And finally, when you think about taking personal responsibility, do we understand that seeking God is exposing the deeds of darkness, not just, not just uh, well, I'm not going to go. I didn't go as far as the rest of them. You know, I, I, think, I think many people who were there to watch Uzza die, they could have said that. Hey, I didn't go as far as him, but remember the moral of the story. There was great grace that day. Why? Because God did not kill all of them. He spared all of them except for that one. And, and so we need to learn how to take personal responsibility for ourselves. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 11, Paul says that we are not to participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. And so you may not have gone as far, but you've still gone too far if you're participating in it, if you're associating with it. And so just because, you know, <laughs> David and, and the rest of the people there could have looked and said, well, you know, just because the group makes a decision, we can't hide behind, you know, I, I'm not going to, just because the rest of the people decided to sin against God, I mean, I, I didn't go that far. Well, David probably couldn't have said that because he was the one that was organizing it. But maybe other people could have. But they're not going to be able to hide behind that, that little notion of, well, there's nothing I could do about it. I, you know, you may be right. You may not have been able to stop it entirely. But you know what you absolutely could have done. You absolutely, certainly did not have to participate. Or show hearty approval. And so, with all of this being said, it always comes back to authority. Are we really seeking after God according to the ordinance? Or are we seeking some other source? If we are, it will end in devastation and death and defeat. And what God says, if you seek after me, I'll help you accomplish 
if you seek after me and my ordinance, just like he did in 1 Chronicles 15, he helped them get the Ark of the Covenant back. He will help us in attaining salvation. He will help us in guiding us to the promised land, to heaven. It comes down to, are you willing to seek after him and him alone? Are you willing to do that? Maybe you're a Christian, but you've kind of gotten away from that. Maybe you've strayed and stumbled from that path. You just need to come back. You have an advocate in heaven. Make your life right with him this morning. But if you're not a Christian, what does seeking after God looks like or look like? It means being willing to hear everything that he has said. Repent of the things that he says you just can't be a part of anymore. You can't participate in. Be faithful in all those things that he has commanded from us. And, and be faithful to stay away from the things that he has commanded from us. Make a confession based on that belief and be baptized into his death to rise in newness of life, in his life, and live a resurrected life. Are you willing to seek after God this morning so that he can guide us to that goal of heaven? If you're subject to the invitation of Christ by any means, please come forward as we stand, as we say.